One of the reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi was to praise them for their practical support of him throughout his ministry. We see some of this in verses um, 10, 15, and 16. Uh, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished. Again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. And then in verse 15, uh, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye also. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and, once and again unto my necessity. So Paul writes to praise them for their support of him through his ministry. Although that had not always been the case. In chapter 2 and the verse 30, the apostle speaks of your lack of service toward me. Now the church at Philippi was to a very small measure guilty of not supporting the work of the apostle Paul by practical means when he was in prison at Rome. Now Paul had left his employment to preach the gospel on a full-time basis. It was ordained by God that this was a work which was to be supported by the churches. We see the Lord Jesus Christ taught this in Matthew 10. When he sent the disciples out to preach, he said, Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass, nor script, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now the apostle, or the church at Philippi, was not the only church guilty of neglecting to support the Apostle Paul. The church at Corinth was guilty of this too. 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul had to teach them. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now it does seem unlikely that this church at Philippi had no uh, desire to support him. It seems that they wanted to support him, but they lacked the opportunity. In fact, we might even say they were not as zealous to get the support to Paul as they should have been. That was until Epaphroditus risked his life to bring support to Paul from the church. We read of that in chapter 2, verse 30. And here, Paul acknowledges their support. He doesn't ignore it. He acknowledges it in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last... Your care of me hath flourished again. Now in verse 11, the Apostle Paul addresses why he wanted their support. Paul was not one of these modern day televangelists who say, send me all your money and God will bless you richly. The Apostle Paul was not like that at all. In fact, in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Paul does not want their money. He does not covet their money. He's not building a big nest egg for his retirement. In fact, Paul's under house arrest here in Rome. Paul doesn't want their money because he knows that the God who he serves is more than able to provide for his children. After all, God sent Elijah beside a brook and he fed him there for three years. How much more is he not able to take care of the apostle Paul? And Paul knows that if the church at Philippi did not send support, the Lord would move others to do just that. But the main reason that Paul wanted to see support arriving from them is found in the verse 17. 
He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul wants to see fruit in the life of this church. He wants to see that um, this is a church that is continuing to grow spiritually. That this is a church that still has a heart uh, uh, supporting the gospel ministry of the Apostle Paul. Yes, this church had been faithful uh, in supporting Paul at the start of his ministry in Macedonia and Thessalonica whenever things were going well. But now that the Apostle Paul is in prison and now that many people have forsaken him, Paul desires to see that this church in Philippi, that their heart, that in their heart, they still support him, that they're still in fellowship with him, even though he's been arrested and uh, imprisoned. He wants to see that they haven't grown cold in their love of the gospel. It's often said the actions of the hand show the true state of the heart. And Paul wanted to see that this was a church that, that hadn't turned their back on him. But we're standing with him in his affliction, in his imprisonment. Sadly, today, many, whenever affliction comes, they turn away from supporting the, the, the gospel and appease the, the, uh, for the pleasantries of the world. But why did Paul not want their support? <clears throat> did he not need it? Well, he did need it. We generally understand that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. While he was not cast in a prison cell, he didn't have the liberty to work to support himself. So there was a need for Paul to have practical support from his fellow believers. But in the latter part of verse 11, Paul demonstrates that he doesn't get anxious. He doesn't get distressed. He doesn't get worried about these practical matters of life, the money matters. In verse 11, he says, I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He doesn't say, I've learned to be anxious. I've learned to be worried. I've learned to be pessimistic. He says, I've learned to be content. That was the state of the Apostle Paul. In prison, he's learned to be content. Not sure how he's going to pay for his food next week. He's learned to be content. Now you and I, we will face different states in our lives. We will face times of prosperity. Times whenever it seems like there's, there, there's plenty of money coming in to pay the bills and save a little as well. But then likewise, we might face times of poverty also. Maybe wondering, how are we going to pay that bill that has just come in? Where's the money going to come from, from that? You and I will face times of success. When things are seemingly going well in our lives. And likewise, we could also face times of difficulty and times of outright failure. We might face times of good health. When we're as fit as a fiddle, as they would say. And we might face times of severe illness. Confined to our beds and racked with, with constant pain. You and I will face times in our spiritual life when our, our faith is very strong. When reading our Bible is a delight and when praying comes with great ease. And then we'll face times of great hardship. When even reading the Bible is a struggle to get time to read the Bible. Let alone get a couple of minutes to pray to God. We will face different states in our life. But how are we to face these? What is to be our condition? 
Well, I put it to you that we are to have the same response as Paul. The state of contentment. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So let's look at Paul's contentment this morning and what we can learn from it. Four headings. First of all, Paul learned contentment through experience. He learned contentment through experience. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see something of the, the sufferings of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and the verse 24. Well, we'll read from verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Well, Paul paints a lovely picture of the apostolic life, doesn't he? Whenever he describes all the sufferings that he went through. I got the calculator out and I, he mentions there how many times he got beaten. And 39 uh, times times 5, 195 stripes Paul received upon his body since he became an apostle. For being a, a Christian, we could go through all the different um, sufferings that he had there. A night and the day in the sea. All that he suffered for being a, a Christian. And we never read that Paul said, these stripes are getting too many. I've had too many lashes upon my back. Too many scars have formed. The time they stoned me, that was the end of it. They dragged Paul out of the city. They stoned him and they stopped stoning him because they thought he was dead. Paul never said, "Become being a Christian has been too hard. All these afflictions are more than I can manage. He never says that at all. He says, I have learned to be content. Even through these physical afflictions upon my body. For being a follower of Christ. I've learned to be content. But there wasn't just the, the physical sufferings. There was the emotional stress that Paul went through as well. In verse 28 and 29 of 2 Corinthians 11. Paul goes on to say. Beside those things that are without. That which cometh upon me daily. The care of all the churches. I don't believe that the Apostle Paul was married. I don't believe he had a family. I believe that the Apostle Paul, his emotional ties were for the church and for the people of God. And he said, they came upon me daily. And you and I know what it is to have those cares upon us for our family, for our loved ones, for those who are close to us, our nearest and dearest. We, we go to bed thinking about them at night. We wake up in the morning thinking about them all day, praying for them and caring for them. And sometimes, dear friends, the emotional burdens of caring for others uh, can be more intense than physical sufferings. They can cause um, knots in our, uh, in our bowels, so to speak. 
And the Apostle Paul says, I have those cares as well. He didn't just visit a church like a wayfaring man and then forget all about it. He prayed for them day and daily. They were heavy upon his heart. And he says, even with these heavy burdens upon his heart, he has learned to be content. Sometimes we can lose contentment whenever we become anxious over things and over people. Whenever we become so focused upon the worrying that we forget to entrust everything to the Savior. Paul says he has learned to be content. You and I, dear friends, we're always going to have cares. We're always going to have worries. But they should never cause us to lose our Christian contentment. We will have many trying experiences like Paul had that I've just read of. But they should never cause us to lose our contentment. Jacob was guilty whenever he heard of uh, the afflictions of uh, his sons. He said, all these things are against me. And he lost his contentment. He lost his uh, uh, contentment in his relationship with God. Well, you and I will have many different experiences. But dear friends, never lose contentment. Never let them become uh, uh, such a focus in your life that you lose focus on God. And you lose focus in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul learned contentment through experience. Secondly, he learned contentment through time. Through time. By this stage in his life, Paul is an experienced Christian. Rough calculations lead us to believe that Paul had been converted for about 26 years by the time he penned these words. Now this contentment that Paul had was something which had matured over time. This isn't something that God gave to him the day he was converted on the Damascus Road. This is something that has matured as he's progressed in the Christian life. Now sometimes in our Christian experience, God would have us to go through trials. But only whenever he knows that we are ready for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear. God will not cause us to go through any trial that we're not able to get through. And we get through trials and we overcome trials. By trusting in him. To see us through them. We can think of Moses. Whenever Moses was a young man. He was impatient and violent. He was guilty of murder. And killing an Egyptian. But over time. He became Moses the meek. He, became, he submitted to the Lord's will. Even whenever it seemed difficult. Or dangerous. Yes we still maybe saw the odd flashback of the old man when he uh, smote the rock and so forth but he was a completely different person and so it is dear friend as we progress further in the Christian life we should know more of contentment with each passing day it doesn't mean we will be perfect the Christian will never be perfect in this life but the Christian should be able to look back down the mountain And say, that's where I was. I'm still not perfect, but I've come a long way from there. Remember when I used to be up all night worrying about that? I don't do that anymore. I've progressed further up the mountain and further along the pathway with God. Through experience and through time, 
we should know more of contentment. There's a problem in our life, dear friend, and there's a problem in our spiritual life. If we know less of contentment now than we did five years ago, or ten, or twenty, we should know more of contentment as we progress. Thirdly, Paul knew contentment through divine providence. He knew contentment through divine providence. We know, I trust that we know this today, that God orders all the affairs of men. Therefore, there is not a state, a condition, a situation that you and I will find ourselves in that God is not in control of. God is in control of the very air that we breathe and the very beats of our heart. He's in control of that situation in your family and in your workplace. He's in control of all things. And we see the sovereignty of God in the life of Job. The devil came to God looking permission to tempt Job. And God gave him permission, but there were limitations. He would only let him go so far. And so it is, dear friend, God, the devil would come to us desiring to have us. That's what the Lord said to Peter. As Satan hath desired to have you, that is all you disciples. But I have prayed for thee. That is you alone, Peter. That's a very important lesson. Anything that begins with a, a, a T, be thou thine, is singular. Anything that begins with a Y is plural. People say, why do we still use the thee thou thine? It's actually accurate. Uh, Satan desired to have you, all of you. But I have prayed for thee, Peter. The Lord prayed specifically for Peter. And so it is, uh, dear friends, the Lord uh, is in control of every trial and every temptation that comes our way. And the Apostle Paul was aware of this. He knew that God was sovereign in his imprisonment. He knew that God had reasons for him to be in that prison. Did the Apostle Paul want to be out visiting the churches? Yes. Did he want to be out preaching in the public realm? Yes. Did he want to be in the synagogue trying to win the Jewish people to Christ? Yes, of course he did. But he was in prison. And God had him there for a reason. And he knew that God was sovereign in that purpose. And he also knew that God was sovereign regarding his need for food and clothing as well. He knew that God would undertake for those things. I'm sure he made them a matter of much prayer and he trusted that God would answer. But Paul also knew that God was sovereign in his health. Paul had failing eyesight. Many believe that by this stage of his life, the Apostle Paul was, was nearly blind, not able to write these letters by himself and other dictating it and then Paul signing his name uh, or Paul dictating it and other writing it and then Paul signing his name at the end. But Paul didn't say, God has really done harm to me by taking away my eyesight. The things I could do for God if he would only give me my eyesight. He was content with how God was dealing with his physical frame. Just as Paul knew the sovereignty of God in all the matters of his life, should we not trust the sovereignty of God in our life as well? Should we not have contentment whenever we remember that those um, uh, events that will come upon us this week or that we went through last week, that God is in control of? He's in control of all of those. Just as he was in control of the storm when Jonah went out in the boat, so he's in control of the storms that come our way as well. Sometimes we can maybe feel aggrieved with our circumstances. We can maybe question, why is God doing this to me? And sometimes 
Uh, some lose faith. They turn away from God. Stop coming out to church. Or if they do come out to church, they're only doing it to keep up appearances. They've lost faith. They turn away from God. Some turn against God. Some are turned to a, a bitter disposition. They're angry with God. How can God do that to me? I was um, doing some outreach in Scotland many years ago. And there was a man in his garden. And I got chatting to him. And I explained who I was and where I was from. And he was telling me, I used to believe in God. I used to be a believer, but I'm not anymore. And we got chatting and he told me that God had, uh, or he'd been an elder in the local church. But his business went through a very trying period. And he said, I prayed to God that God would, would help my business and that God would make it profitable again. And I said, well, how did that turn out? He says, it took many years of hard work. There were many lean years. But eventually, I turned the corner and the business became profitable. And I said, well, there you go. God answered your prayer. And the man was angry. His face turned uh, in an instant. He says, God didn't help me at all. I rescued my business. God didn't answer my prayers. Well, I, I said, well, if your business turned profitable, then yes, God did answer your prayers. But he didn't like that. What he didn't like is that God didn't do what he wanted when he wanted him to do it. And that can be the problem with many of us. And that is why many can turn to a, a, a bitter disposition. Why many can become angry against God. God isn't jumping at their commands. But dear friend, God isn't, to use an, an example, a genie in a bottle that, that is there to fulfill our every wish and desire. God is the sovereign and we are his subjects. And we are to say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to be comforted by the word of God. In Romans 8, 28, the apostle says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It doesn't say that some things will work together for good. All things will work together for good to them that love God. So, dear friends, we are to be content through the divine providences of life. Fourthly, we call new contentment regardless of external circumstances. Paul had reason to worry. We think of having reasons to worry. Paul had many reasons to worry, perhaps more than any, any other individual, because of these external circumstances. He's under house arrest in Rome. After all the beatings that he received, he's at the mercy of the Romans. And we should never forget what the Romans did. They crucified our Savior, even though they found no fault in him. They crucified uh, uh, many of the apostles and uh, James was dead. Stephen was stoned to dead. In fact, Paul was standing beside Stephen. He was in the crowd that day whenever Stephen was stoned to death. So he had reason to worry. He knew what the Romans were capable of. He knew the fate that was possibly coming to him. And yet he still said, I have learned to be content. Paul disregarded all these concerns. He wasn't worried about the Romans or the Jews or the economy, the political situation in Israel, Rome or the world. He was content. And dear friends, there's many external circumstances that we should justly be concerned about. We should justly be concerned about the economy. How we're going to pay our but those are concerns. We should justly be concerned likewise about uh, things in schools, for example, and the way the society is going. Those are things to be justly concerned about. We don't ignore them, but they should never cause us to lose our contentment. 
regardless of what is happening in our home or our workplace, we should never lose contentment in our relationship with God. Don't allow external circumstances to rob you of your contentment. Well, some words of application as we come to a close this morning. How does contentment come? It's a good question. How does it come? The Apostle Paul says, I have learned. I have learned. It is not something we obtain the day we become Christians. It is not a gift exclusive to certain proportions of Christians. It is something we can all have. Paul says, I have learned this over the course of my Christian life. As I have got older, as the Lord has sanctified me and worked with me, I have learned to be, to be content. It's something that we learn. Which means that it must be something that we give ourselves to learn. It's not something, dear friend, that you're just going to wake up one day with this great contentment in your life. But it's something to learn. Something we can all have. But why can we have contentment? Why can you and I have this contentment that Paul speaks about this morning? Well, we can have this contentment because of one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have contentment because he came into this world in the flesh to do something that we could not do. He came to be our substitute and our sin bearer. He came to be our saviour. He came to die the death of deaths so that you and I could live. So the biggest problem that you and I have ever had in our life is our problem of, of sin. The problem of our alienation from God. We are separated from God because of our sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with that sin. To reconcile us to God. So if the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with your biggest problem. Your eternal problem. How much more can we not trust him. For those lesser problems. I'm not downplaying them. But those lesser problems. How can we not uh, commit those things unto him. And be content. We can have contentment today. Only through Christ. But people who don't know Christ as Saviour. They are not yet saved. They are still in their sin. They have the biggest problem of life to deal with. The problem of sin. And the problem that one day we will stand before God. And God will judge for that sin. So dear friend if you are not a Christian today. Then the Lord Jesus Christ bids you to come to him. As your saviour. What is contentment? Well contentment dear friends. Is peace in our souls. Knowing that we are safe and secure. In God's love. Regardless of all other circumstances. Paul asked the question. What shall separate us. From the love of Christ. And the conclusion. Nothing. Nothing shall separate us. From his love. Paul's contentment is not tied to material things. That's the big problem of the world today. Uh, people are, will only be content if they have the latest phone, if they have the, um, uh, the, the latest games machine, if they have the latest sports equipment, if they have the most flashiest car or something like that. People's contentment is tied to material things, but the Christians shouldn't be. Their contentment is in their relationship with Christ. Paul's contentment was learnt in prosperity. And it was learnt in poverty. We see that in verse 12. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Every word and all things. I am instructed both to be full. And to be hungry. Now happiness is different from contentment. 
our happiness can fluctuate depending on how much coffee or how little coffee uh, we've perhaps had in a day and how loud our children are being or whether the car is working well. Our happiness can fluctuate, but our contentment is different. Our contentment is our relationship with God. And God uses our contentment for our sanctification to deliver us from temptation, to deliver us from covetousness and to intensify our prayers. We can come down to our knees in prayer and we can be so worried and so anxious and we can get up off our knees 10 minutes later with a perfect peace. Why is that? Because God gives contentment to those who are his children. So what is the key to contentment? With this I finish. What is the key? If you're looking at the golden key, the magic key today to be content in your life, what is it? Well, Christ is that key. Your contentment will only be found in him and through him. By continually looking to him, by continually believing upon him, by continually having faith in him, by continually trusting him, as if you've trusted him uh, with your finest gold china in his hands, you trust him with your life, and you commit everything unto him, knowing that he will work everything for your good. Yes, you still might have to sail through the, the troublesome waters of life, but you've committed everything to him, and you're trusting him to guide you through and to see you through. Paul summarized it when he wrote to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The key to contentment, dear friends, is to be looking unto Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us for those times when we have been lacking contentment, when we have been those who have been consumed with the busyness of life and even taking the cares upon our own shoulders. Let us be those who cast our burdens upon the Lord. Let us be those who know the joy of contentment, even through difficulties and trials and issues. Let us be those who are looking on to Jesus. Let it be the portion of each one this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in closing the hymn number 280. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Standing to sing 280.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.